for studying Revelation. So we've, we've done four years. That's something to celebrate. I'm excited. That mean, I mean, I'm excited because I've preached through the whole Bible. Almost every single book of the Bible I've preached on. There's a few that got missed because of holidays and things. But for the most part, I've, I've hit every single one. Philemon got skipped. Poor guy. Today we're looking at Jesus' revelation. It's his revelation. It's one revelation about Jesus. I know we a lot of times will say revelations, but it's one revelation, and it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And I know that this book probably received some of the most abuse in the Christian circles. Uh, it probably has spawned some of, the mo- some of the most recent heresies, like the Jehovah Witness or the Mormons. They get stuff, crazy stuff out of this book. And, and I know that many pastors won't even preach on the book, or if they do preach on the book, they only preach it on chapters 1, 2, and 3, and they go, I don't know about the rest. I, I hope that in this time, because we are going to do an overview, and then we're going to do a walkthrough. It's going to be several weeks of Revelation. So you're going to need to put a little bit of your thinking caps on, but I hope by the time this is done, you're like, you know, Revelation is really cool because it's all about Jesus. And it's all about what Jesus is going to do. And it's all about what Jesus has done in my life. And it's about his power walking in me, his good pleasure. And so we should get excited about Revelation, not afraid. Because who are we? We are God's people. And God has a mission and a plan for his people that we participate in. And this is the end plan. This is the end plan and the end game. And guess what? He's coming. He's coming. If you don't believe that, then I'm sorry, because you're going to be really surprised. It's going to be like a thief in the night, but he is coming. And for us who believe, it's not a thief, because we know he is what, church? He's coming. So heads up. Heads up. And he's making us ready. He's making us ready for, his, for him to come. And we will be complete. We will be his bride. It'll be awesome. (laughs) So right now, in your life, I know you have something hard going on. All of us do. We live in a broken place. And if we don't have something hard at this very moment, I'm sure something will come up. Sorry. But I got good news. I got good news. The creator of the universe has taken a personal interest in each one of you. And he has a personal interest in that problem. Not to make it go away, necessarily, but to use it to shape you and mold you into his image. That's good news. And that he is doing that not only for you and me, but how many of you get sick of watching the news? In fact, I don't even watch the news half the time. Right? Because it's depressing. He's going to fix all that, too. He's coming. Are we ready? And yes, we are, because he 
is making us ready. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so exciting. We get to learn about Jesus and his plan for the world. Which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. This is apocalyptic literature. Now, apocalyptic in all uh, language is come to known as end time or end of the world scenarios. And in some ways it has end of the world. But it also involves a supernatural revelation mediated by an angel. And this revelation is mainly actually mediated by Jesus. Verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. John saw Jesus. He touched him. He felt him. He, he heard him. He, he lived life with him. Oh, man. And then he testified to that. And now Jesus has come to John, and John, John is getting a message, right? And John is now writing it down. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed. A blessing is upon you who read this book. And, and hope and encouragement comes to us as we read this book because we know that he will make it right. Justice is coming. Judgment is coming. Thank God that our judgment has been placed upon the cross. And so his coming for us is, yippee! Oh, man, I didn't go. Shoot. I mean, it's exciting, right? But for the lost, it's dread. And that is why it tarries. That's why a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. And that is totally the context in Second Peter that that term is used. Is that God is tearing, he's patient, he's, he's loving because he wants as many people as possible. His desire is for everybody to come to repentance. Now, not everybody will. But those whom he has called will. And that time is coming. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace. From him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Amen. That's so wow. That's Jesus. And has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father to him. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Can I hear an Amen. Behold, he is coming. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Oh, well, it doesn't say that part yet. All right, sorry. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come 
the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. They're in some persecution. They're in a broken world, and it's way worse than what we know. Was on the island called Patmos. Patmos is off the coast of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, okay? These churches are in modern-day Turkey. The Patmos is a penal colony, meaning when you're bad and you do something wrong, you get sent to break rocks on the island of Patmos. John is imprisoned, basically, on the island of Patmos, breaking rocks for preaching the gospel. That's why he says, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. He's under persecution. On the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and the Laodicea, these seven churches we will be studying over the next coming weeks. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And if I had a, a drummer, I'd have him make it up. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. His glory was so great. But he laid his right hand on me, the hand of fellowship. He laid his right hand on me and said, fear not. Fear not. And he's saying to you today, fear not. Why? I am the first and the last. There's none besides him. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Wow! No, it's not done yet. I am the living one. I died on the cross. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And not only that, I didn't just like die and rise again, but I have the keys of death and of Hades. Those things that hold power over you, the, the domain of the enemy, I hold his keys. Right. Jesus is giving instruction on how to write Revelation. You need to pay attention to this verse. This is a key verse to Revelation. This is Jesus' very instructions to John. And it's quite simple, actually. 
He tells John, write the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Three things. Write the things you have seen. Write the things that are. Write the things that will be. As for the mystery of the seven stars, now, this is really important. When you're reading apocalyptic literature, and there's a lot of imagery like candles and stars, and you're like, what in the world, right? Oftentimes, the text tells you what it's talking about, right? So here, Jesus says, this is what they are. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the seven messengers or angels of the seven churches. So they're either angels that are in charge of churches or they're pastors in those churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There you go, demystified. That's what those objects represent. Now you need to file that away in your brain because when they come back up again in Revelation, which they will, now you know, oh, he's talking about churches. Oh, he's talking about pastors or, or, or angels, you see? Heads up. <laughs> Heads up. Jesus has a message for you. He has a message for you in this book, and are you ready to hear it? Are you ready to receive it? He's coming. He's coming to make all things right, and he is making all things right in your life today. That's how big he is. That's how he protects you. He doesn't protect you from absolutely no harm. He's so big that he allows what Satan means for evil, and he turns it to good. That's how big he is. Big enough to, to take the enemy's schemes and turn them back on the enemy. So if you have something that you're struggling with and you have a sin that you just can't seem to, to walk through and you keep falling in the mud, as we all do, know that he is walking. And your response is one of humility. One of saying, I need you. It's not one of saying, oh, you dirty, rotten rig. That does not accomplish anything. And I know you don't do it that way. Thank God you don't have bruises on your head. But you do it that way emotionally. You side with the enemy and accuse yourself when he's paid it all. And we talked last week about confession. Confession is aligning myself with God's reality. So that's what we need to do when we mess up. I'm wrong. You're right. Help me keep looking to you. He's coming to make all things right. And he's walking to make things right today. This is a reminder of his power. Walking in our lives, in the grind, in the grit, in the disappointment. And as Peter says, we must entrust ourselves to him who judges rightly. So Jesus' instructions, what are his instructions to John? Verse 19, I, you, you are going to need to know this verse inside and out because this is the outline for Revelation. 
Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. It's really simple. It's divided into three sections. And the number seven, John loves. And he loves the number seven because it is the number of completion. It's the number of wholeness. And the book of Revelation is like a book that's saying God is coming, Jesus is coming to make all things whole and make all things complete. And so John uses the number seven, those seven churches in which he writes to. There's seven seals, there's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls. So he's going to uh, have an outline, and, and some people would call this the divine outline because it's given by Jesus. You, you can call it that, but it is an outline for Revelation. It comes right out of the text. And it is this. John is instructed, instructed to write what, what's seen. What is seen. It's the glorified Jesus. So that's chapter 1. We just read that. Jesus glorified. So he is glorified. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's, he's been glorified. His payment was made in full. The resurrection has validated. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Where he, he intercedes for us. He's glorified. So that's J Revelation chapter 1. There's some intro prologue. But 9 through 20 is definitely the, the vision of Jesus glorified. Then what is, what is, what is, uh, in John's time day, it is the seven churches. It's the, it's, that's his life. That he's addressing needs and, and, and corruption and division and, and, and last, lost love in these seven churches. Jesus is. And so that is what is. And in so many ways, it's still the time of the church. And so that even applies to us today. Chapters 2 through 3. And then he is instructed to write what will be or write what takes place after this. After this. And if you looked at chapter 4, the verse, beginning of the verse, the, the phrase after this is right there. And so we have what will be, and that is Revelations 4 through 22. Now, if you, I've already played my cards, I, I believe that most of Revelation is to take place in the future. And we'll talk about different perspectives that come into that uh, and grids of interpretation. And I'll hopefully be able to unravel all the confusion that is around this. Part of that is because we have taken snippets of everything from everywhere and we don't have a, a cohesive thing. And so hopefully by the end of this time, not today... But the end of our walk through Revelation, a lot of it will be, oh, yeah, that's how it works. Oh, that's what it's about. It's Jesus' revelation. It's about Jesus coming and making all things right. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. So there are some keys to understanding Scripture, period, actually. But we're going to apply those to Revelation. There's five keys, five things that we need to discipline our minds to do. First is depend on the Holy Spirit. This is a relationship that we have with God. It's his revelation. We're to engage scripture in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit's guidance. He said he would lead us in all truth. Second is understand the Old Testament context. We need to know our Old Testament. That's one reason why I preach through the whole Bible before I preach through Revelation. 
because we need to understand how Revelation and John and Jesus are using the Old Testament, especially Zechariah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Isaiah, especially the prophets, some of the, new, uh, the Genesis accounts as well. So we need to understand those books and understand what's going on in those books. Thirdly, we need to understand the original context. So we need to figure out when was this book written, why was, and why it was written, and what's going on. We already know some big clues from the text, right? Where's John? He's on the island of Patmos, right? Yeah, where are the seven churches? They're in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, right? Yeah, so now we have some clues. What's going on in there? We need to know that context. What's affecting these people? What's pressing in on them? What's going on in their lives? Is it in the reign of Domitian? Is it in the reign of Nero? When is this happening? So we need to understand the original context. We need to understand the imagery and symbology in the context. So like, just like we just read, the, eight, the seven stars and the seven lampstands, right? That's imagery. That's symbology. And we need to understand it within its immediate context. I can't go uh, apply some other uh, imagery and, and meaning to that text other than what the immediate context gave it. Jesus said that the seven lampstands are the seven churches, right? And that the seven stars are the seven messengers or angels, right? You see, Jesus already told us. So the immediate context dictates what the symbology and the imagery means. Now, maybe it doesn't always give an, a definition because they assume you should know. And so that brings us to the next thing is, that, uh, is to go to bigger context. The old Bible, then the culture of the day. Number five is to identify the lenses you're bringing to the text. I'm supposed to wear glasses. I don't, but I'm supposed to. And when I put my glasses on, it goes from regular TV to HD TV. Okay? Those lenses affect my vision. Right? Each of you wear lenses when you come to the Word of God. I'm not saying take those lenses off and throw them away. I'm saying you need to identify what those lenses are so you understand how they affect how you interpret the word of God. Because all lenses affect how we interpret and apply God's word. I can take, sit down with a covenant theologian, and we can come through the same list of facts, and we will come up with two different conclusions. Because my system, my lens is dispensational theology, not covenant theology. And that's just part of what's going on in Revelation, is Revelation is a conclusion of the whole scripture. And these theologies shape and form all lenses. And as we come to an end to the conclusion, it changes or it influences, maybe as a better word, the way that we interpret the data and we come up with different interpretations of the same text. So identify your lenses. And I'm not going to judge you. I don't think you're bad if you have a different lens than me. Okay, so this is not an argument about who's right and who's wrong. Okay, but we do need to know what is my lens, what is shaping my interpretation of the text. Okay, so depend on the Holy Spirit. We got to depend on the Holy Spirit. This is such a beautiful passage in John 16, 12 through 15. 
Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. Now, whose revelation are we dealing with? Jesus' revelation, that's right. So he, he's telling his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said what he will take, what is mine, and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us and teach us. This is a conversation that we have with God. Every time you open up your Bible and you begin to read, whether it's at a random place, which I don't encourage random opening, I, I, <laughs> I encourage directed study, but, but if you do random stuff, God does still speak to you through that, okay? But if you are in the Word of God, you are in a conversation with God through the Holy Spirit. And we are dependent on Him to enlighten us to the truth. This is not a pure intellectual exercise. This is an exercise in humility and being taught by the Spirit of God as we go through his word. Okay, second is understand the Old Testament. We need to understand the Old Testament. We, we've just went through four years of preaching through the Bible, and, and, and that has given us a good foundation but we need to understand how Revelation is using the Old Testament. It uses the Old Testament. Revelation does. John does. Uh, uh, Jesus does. Over 150 times. And it's not your typical way of thus saith the Lord. It's just integrated into it. So you don't even know sometimes that they're quoting Old Testament unless you're familiar with the Old Testament. So Revelation has approximately 150 allusions, that's uh, references uh, and neo-quotations of the Old Testament. It's a literary, literary that's like literature, uh, books, papers uh, being compiled, phenomenon, which is a, an occurrence, right, called intertextuality. That was a big word for you, intertextuality. It means it's been borrowed from so much, it's hard to tell the original, uh, tell the Old Testament quotes from what is being written. That's how integrated it is. And so part of our exploration here will be exploring how John is using the Old Testament and how it's being integrated and the intertextuality, if you would, of that dynamic. The reason we read uh, from three different passages today in our reading was to show how Jesus' second coming comes from the Old Testament and it's integrated into the New Testament. It's not something new that the, the New Testament writers thought up. Okay, so we need to understand the original context. So the author is pretty clear. It's, the, uh, it's John, the apostle. Now, there is some debate as whether it is John the apostle or John the elder. But the evidence is pretty high, heavy towards John the apostle. And it's been the consensus for, uh, since the, the uh, second century. AD. So that's pretty close even to uh, John's writing from 120. The date, there's two dates about being uh, in the camp of thinking Revelation is a future thing that's happening. I can go with either of these dates, and I think either of them have decent arguments. 
I do think that the 80-95 date has a stronger argument, though I, I don't just want to dismiss the early date uh, in the reign of Nero. Now, for the preterists, which we'll talk about later, it has to be in that early date. Location. It's written from the island of Patmos. Remember, John is in prison in the island of Patmos. To the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So you can get a map and check that out. Okay, it's there. Um, and, and the text for that would be like 9 through 11. The culture. Understanding the culture is important because it's influencing how they write, why they're writing, all those kinds of stuff. The culture is Asia Minor. It, uh, it, it is uh, Greek culture. It is one of gross immorality and idolatry. And it's thus persecuting Christians. It's gross immorality and idolatry. We don't even really have a place in our mind culturally for that. We have 2,000 years, well, not 2,000 years, but uh, 1,000 years of Christian heritage across the globe, like in England and France. Now, those things are definitely may, way more deteriorating in Europe. But even in our own country, we have a heritage of the majority being Judeo-Christian. You see? They did not have that at all. There's no moral fiber Do we need to stop and pray for something? Father God, we just come before you and we ask for your grace. We ask for you to intercede here. Lord, you know exactly what's going on and we pray that you would walk. We pray that you would touch and heal. We just pray for your strength here. We pray for you to sustain. We thank you that you are walking. We do trust you in that process. And we it's 410. Mm-hmm. 7th Street. 410 7th Street. Lord, we just pray for Mike. We just pray that you would just be with him right now. Pray for his healing. We pray for your spirit to comfort and strengthen. Um, we don't need to do anything. It would just be paused or whatever.
No, it's okay. This is this is what we're here for. It's okay. I understand. Yeah, that would be very logical. Small group is canceled tonight. I'll make sure that goes out to people that aren't here. Okay, <laughs> saw seven stars. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, there is a wheelchair in the closet. Maybe they he could sit in that and we could wheel him out. Got it. 
it's taken care of. You don't need to worry about anything, Cindy. You just go be with your husband, okay? Let me pray for you right here real quick before you go. Father God, we once again, can you just turn me off, please? Thank you. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up the sermon next week um, just because I think it would be best. But I do want to close 
and a thong that we have um, just to try to reorientate ourselves. Again, I mean, this is traumatic. This is confronting. And we want to we want to focus on Jesus. We want to focus on his work and what he's doing. Um, so let's just uh, sing this last song uh, together. Um, would you uh, come and, and lead us in that?